Welcome to the podcast series from the Voices in Leadership webcast conversations at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.hsph.me voices. Good afternoon and welcome to our audience here in the studio and to our viewers online around the globe. I'm Eric Anderson, the Director of Voices in Leadership. This series focuses on lessons of effective leadership to create positive change in public health. Today we host a discussion on leading the VA in the right direction with Dr. Ashish Jha and Dr. David Shulkin. Dr. Shulkin was the ninth secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Nominated by President Trump to serve in his cabinet, Secretary Shulkin was confirmed by the U.S. Senate by a vote of 100 to 0. Dr. Shulkin previously served as Undersecretary for Health, having been appointed by President Obama. As Secretary, Dr. Shulkin represented the 21 million American veterans and was responsible for the nation's largest integrated health care system with over 1,200 sites of care, serving over 9 million veterans. Dr. Shulkin has held academic positions, including Chairman of Medicine and Vice Dean at Drexel University School of Medicine. As an entrepreneur, Dr. Shulkin founded and served as the Chairman and CEO of Dr. Quality, one of the first consumer-oriented sources of information for quality and safety in health care. Over his career, Dr. Shulkin has earned many distinctions, including being named as one of the top 100 physician leaders of hospitals and health systems by Becker's Hospital Review, and one of the 50 most influential physician executives in the country. Before I turn this discussion over to our moderator, Dr. Ashish Shah, please join me as we welcome Dr. David Shulkin to the Voices in Leadership series at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Thank you. So, Secretary Shulkin, it is absolutely an honor to have you here. Thank you for making the time and joining us. I'm glad to be here. Um, so, I do want to get to your leadership uh, in the VA, um, but I want to take a step back, actually, and begin a little earlier. You're a physician, um, and, you know, given that this program is about leadership and leadership journeys for people are deeply personal, I want to see if you would talk to us a bit about how you went from being a physician to getting into running a health system, running a hospital, eventually becoming a CEO, uh, being a CEO of multiple. Can you walk us through that transformation for yourself? What instigated it? What it felt like? What the challenges were you faced as you went from being a physician to being a leader? Well, uh, Ashish, I wish I could say that it was all well planned out. It was a strategy that I knew where I started and where I was going, but of course life is never that way. Yep. And when I look back upon my career, it was really two things that sort of always brought me from one step to another. Uh, one was a curiosity, hmm. a curiosity about seeing a problem and thinking, is there a way that I could step in and help understand it better and help solve it? And the second was luck. And by luck, I mean taking advantage of opportunities when they're placed at your feet. Uh, and that, that really explains my career. So when I was in my medical training, uh, and I finally got to my third year of my internal medicine residency, you'll remember this, and they said, well, now you actually have some choice. You can pick your electives. Do you want to do oncology, nephrology, GI? I said, I want to work at Blue Cross. And the chairman didn't know what to do with me because, because this isn't a typical thing. Who says that? But I wanted to understand how our healthcare system worked and yeah. how we were getting paid. And I believe that if physicians didn't understand what was happening with the skyrocketing costs 
in healthcare that we were going to lose our autonomy and that it was important to understand that. And so I just pursued this curiosity and it brought me different places in leadership. Yeah. So I want to talk a bit more about that, but I'm going to actually, if you don't mind, respectfully push back on a concept you said, which is you said luck. So my sense is it isn't luck, it's about recognizing the opportunities that are in front of you and recognizing them for what they are and taking the risk to pursue those opportunities. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, and let me let me expand just a little bit upon it. Um, I, absolutely, luck isn't um, you know hitting the lottery. Luck is, in some ways, allowing yourself to have that opportunity. And what I always encourage people to do is to go out and to talk to people and meet people and allow those opportunities to happen. So people often say, "Well, how did you end up in government?" Because that was unplanned, yep. and it really wasn't. Uh, a direct path, uh, I uh, agreed to have lunch with somebody, which I always encourage people to do, that I didn't know. We had lunch in Washington, a very pleasant lunch, I thought without an agenda, and right before the lunch ended, the person I was having lunch with said, you know, you've had a really interesting career. Do you have any regrets? And I said, you know, not, not really. I've had such a great career, but maybe one, and that is that I've never done public service. And I really feel so fortunate to be where I am and so grateful to the country that I've not had the time to give back. And little did I know that conversation, that unplanned conversation, a half hour later, I was on an Amtrak train heading from Washington back to my home in Philadelphia, and my cell phone rang. And they said, this is the White House. We wonder if you'd come back to Washington and have a discussion with us. And uh, it was just allowing yourself to be open to meeting interesting people. Yep, great. So let's talk about that opportunity. The f when you first came into government, mm -hmm. um, it was under the Obama administration. Uh, you came in as the leader of the healthcare section of, yeah. uh, of VA, which is a very large agency, but healthcare is really the heart of it. Um, and what was that transition like? having run hospitals in the private sector to now running a very large integrated delivery system. But it's not like running Kaiser, which is also a large integrated delivery system. It's in the public sphere. It's in the public eye. Um, what was that transition like? Um, what were the surprises in that transition? Well, I think that there were, I think that there were two things. Uh, one is, is that uh, I entered the position as undersecretary, which had to be confirmed by the Senate. 14 months after my predecessor had resigned. Uh, in April 2014, a national wait time crisis starting in Phoenix happened, resulting in the resignation of both the secretary and the undersecretary. And so walking into an organization without having a permanent leader in place for 14 months at the time of national attention and crisis uh, was uh, really demanded that there would not be any honeymoon. You couldn't say, I'm going to come in and understand the culture and environment. In six months, I'm going to come out with the plan. We needed to come in right now uh, from day one and establish a plan. And the uh, interesting thing about crises is, is that they direct you to what the plan should be. And the issue when I came into government was the wait times. And it really was a nationally important issue and one that I thought people's lives were being dependent upon what actions we took. So uh, we focused on that in a laser-like fashion. Uh, we had 
over 500,000 veterans waiting for care more than 30 days, 57,000 of them waiting for urgent care more than 30 days. And that required within the first couple weeks of me being there, calling for a national stand down across all VAs. We got those 57,000 patients seen. We established same day services for primary care and for mental health in every site across the country and really were able to establish that there wouldn't be veterans out there who would be harmed waiting for care. So that's what it was like entering government. I want you to reflect on, okay, so the crisis, the, but you talked about the, the importance of public service. What feels different about being in a public institution versus being in a private institution? And if you could, like, what different parts of your leadership capacity, capabilities, are challenged by those two different environments. Can you just reflect on that contrast? Yeah. Um, so the government working in a, in a public organization or working government is very different than the private sector. There are also many similarities. And basically, I tried to bring my experience from the private sector that made sense into the public sector. And I tried to learn as quickly as I could what made the public sector environment different. The first thing that's clearly different is, is that we're given a lump budget once a year by Congress. And pretty much we're free from the reimbursement constraints that you have in the private sector. And your job when you're working in the VA is to simply do what's the right thing for the veteran. And you don't have to worry about whether you're billing or you're getting paid. You have to worry about making sure that the veteran's taken care of. So in that way, it's a very freeing environment where one gets to reconnect with why we all entered healthcare in the first place. Yeah. And for the men and women who work in the VA, who are some of the hardest working, most talented people in healthcare, it's that passion <coughs> and that sense of mission that drives them because it certainly isn't the pay or the work environment. Uh, so, so I think that that's very different. But what I found when I came into government that many people in the VA thought that they were immune from the same forces that were hitting all of us in the private sector. And in fact, it was my job to explain that we weren't immune. We had the same type of responsibility to be transparent with our outcomes. We had the same responsibility for driving value in healthcare and making sure that we were staying on top of the improvements that were happening in the, in the um, private sector. And so I really wanted to open up the VA and to expose it to be much more like the private sector was feeling those competitive forces and requirements yep. to improve. Yeah. And so I, I love the ways in which being in the public sector creates a degrees of freedom. There's some cultural challenges. What were other challenges that uh, of running a public system? M maybe ones that you hadn't anticipated or something that well, you... Yeah, look, um, there, there, there are a lot of challenges. Every environment that you work in, small companies, mid-sized companies, big companies, have come with their own politics, yep. but not quite the same way when you're in the, uh, in the VA. My board was 435 members of Congress, yep. and every member of Congress had a VA facility in their uh, district or their region. And if you ask members of Congress who are the most vocal constituents, they're often the veterans. Yep. So, so we had a lot of congressional involvement. Now, uh, I worked very hard to uh, keep 
the VA out of the political sphere with Congress and to keep it a bipartisan issue. And for the most part, members of Congress viewed it that way too. But we also had our veteran service groups, uh, very influential, particularly in Washington. We had our own employees and our unions, you know, 350,000 employees that were an important constituent. Uh, we had the press who was looking at everything that we're doing. And then, of course, we had the executive branch. Yep. So there were multiple constituents that you were trying to balance on a daily basis to make sure that not necessarily that you were making everybody happy, but that you had enough alignment to be able to keep your initiatives moving and to make progress in transforming the VA. Yeah. So the upside is Congress allocates you the money. The downside is you've got to manage. I don't, I don't even want to call it a downside because it's the nature of these things, but you've got to manage them very, very closely. Yeah, I wouldn't say I ever tried to manage Congress. I think that I think that um, I actually really did view them as partners. Yeah. Uh, there were many many dedicated members of Congress who actually wanted to do the right thing, yeah. recognized that they couldn't run the VA from Capitol Hill, so they wanted a strong management team in place, and they wanted people who had a vision and then would execute upon the vision. And An example would be when I made the decision to move the VA away from its homegrown electronic medical record to a commercial record that was used by the Department of Defense. Um, there was genuine support from both sides in Congress to do that. They just were glad that there was a decision being made, that it was based on a rationale and a plan for execution. And then they worked with us and the executive branch to find an extra $10 billion to be able to see that implemented. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that there was a very good working relationship there. So I want to ask you a question about bipartisanship. So mm -hmm. you're the only person from mm -hmm. the Obama administration, senior leadership, who then transfers over to the Trump administration. Um, before we talk about that transition, which I want to, like, in your time uh, in VA under President Obama, mm -hmm. how do you cultivate bipartisan support, engagement, in a time when it feels to a lot of us who are here like things are incredibly polarized, where there is no bipartisanship left. And yet, you're living proof that there was bipartisanship. What do you do? What's the formula? And can we replicate it beyond VA? Well, uh, first of all, I made sure that I didn't play politics. Um, I just, I didn't go to Washington for that reason. I didn't think it would help veterans for me to play politics, and I just didn't do it. Yeah. And. Uh, the week that I left, a bunch of senators and congressmen held a reception for me, and I remember Senator Tester, who's the ranking Democrat, uh, stood up and said, you know, David, I worked with you for over three years, and I couldn't tell you today if you're a Republican or a Democrat. And I said, perfect. Yeah. You know, and, um, and so I think the way that you do that is you have to have principles. You have to, you have to say, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe in, and you have to stick to those principles. And you have to make decisions based upon uh, the stated principles that you believe in and not veer off on politics. And if you stay consistent on that, that generally works. Yeah. Now, um, the, the areas that it doesn't work is when you come up against people that frankly don't share the vision of, of making progress but are more interested in playing politics. And occasionally you run into that. And yeah. I ran into my share of political appointees in the VA that wanted to be there for political reasons and not 
for transforming the VA. So how do you manage that? Because you've still got a job, you've got a health system to run, and actually once you became secretary, much more than just the health system. Um, but Washington's deeply political. There are political well, appointees. So well, how do you manage that well, on both sides of the political aisle? Actually, if you check, I don't have the job, okay? What's that? I don't have the job. The president fired me. So, no, so you did have the job, no, is my point. No, no. But, but what I'm saying is, is that, look, I came to Washington with the belief that I wasn't going to be there forever. Yep. And I was going to stay adherent to the principles and to what I thought was right. And if it cost me my job, so be it. And that's what happened. Got it. So I was very clear about where I stood on things. And it didn't always mix with what the politics were. And I understood that there were consequences with that, and I was okay with that, rather than bending my principles. And, you know, I wrote an editorial the day that I left um, that the president fired me by tweet uh, that said it shouldn't be this hard to serve your country yep. because you t it takes a big personal toll on you and your family. But, uh, but you know, you leave with your head high and you say, look, um, I know I didn't deviate from what I believe in, and um, now it's going to be up to somebody else to carry the ball forward. Yeah. And quite frankly, uh, I think the VA is moving forward in the right direction. They're moving forward with the electronic medical record. They've moved forward with the Mission Act, which is, which is an act that I had worked on for a long time to see happen moving forward with many of the initiatives in telehealth and homelessness and other things yeah. that I think are going to make a difference for veterans. Yeah. Okay, I am going to come back to the transition um, between President Obama and President Trump. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a very different executive style, it, or mm -hmm. at least appears from uh, those of us who are outside. Sure. Um, feels like you got to live it on the inside, you got to be part of that transition, yes. watch it. Um, talk about the difference in how the executive branch was run under President Obama mm -hmm. versus the current president. Mm -hmm. And how did you feel it, I guess, in right, your career? Right. Your when career. I entered the Obama administration, I entered really in the last 18 months of the administration. It was a well, well-run oiled machine. Uh, there was really very clear decision-making. There were clear paths for how you got decisions done. Uh, when we presented issues, we knew how to present the material with very detailed information. The president would uh, be well briefed when we met with him, understood the issues, very analytic and thoughtful. Um, and it was usually a pretty extensive discussion before decisions were made. Uh, president Obama was known for that style, and that was the way I experienced him as well. Uh, in the Trump administration, uh, I entered in a brand new time uh, where they were just trying to figure out how they wanted things to work. There was reported, um, uh, some people use the word chaos, that would probably be a pretty accurate term, uh, as they were trying to figure out how they wanted to run the organization. Uh, President Trump uh, isn't one that likes to spend a huge amount of time reviewing the details. He's, he's more of a person who reacts to his belief system. And, and uh, so for me, uh, being the only cabinet member who had been in government in, that, in the Obama administration, I came in pretty much already knowing how the organization worked and what the game plan was and what I wanted to do. So having a very loose 
management style in the White House was actually something that worked well for me because I came, I presented the ideas, the president said, you know, that sounds like a good thing to do for veterans, let's do it. And I was able to get a lot done. We got 11 bills through in my first year, uh, all with bipartisan support, with the president's support, and we made a lot of progress. So interestingly, the management style that I found in the White House, while it wasn't always clear how you got to a decision, uh, ultimately having access to the president was, um, I think, worked in favor of the VA. Yeah, great. And let's talk about the, how this period ends in terms of, so um, you talked about being fired by a tweet. It shouldn't be so hard to serve in government. Um, we're at a public health school. I think a lot of our students do want to serve in government, do yeah. want to serve in yeah. uh, public entities because that is a very important perch by which you can make a big difference in public health. Talk about the challenges that you mentioned in that New York Times uh, op-ed uh, for those people who might not have read it or don't remember all the details. Um, tell us what, what was hard about it and yeah. how do we make public service yeah. easier? Well, one, one of the biggest concerns that I have about what I see happening in Washington, that sort of hallowing out of experienced people who have said, you know, this is getting too hard and must be an easier way to make a living, uh, is, is that we're losing people with both experience and passion to have that public service. So what gives me hope is when I hear that young people want to go and serve and I would absolutely strongly encourage people to keep that. Yeah. We need the best and brightest to be in Washington. We need people who are committed to public service and it is more important now than ever before. Having said that, look, it's not necessarily always gonna be easy. Um, uh, that's part of the deal. Guess what, there are no easy paths even if you go into the private sector. So, um, you know, what you're going to face are um, uh, an important mission. You're gonna face colleagues who are in the career ranks who are just as dedicated as you are. That keeps you going. And every now and then you're gonna face politics. I think the politics are higher the higher up you are. So secretary, I knew I would be exposed to a greater level of politics than somebody who's in the career ranks. Um, that's the way, frankly, it probably should be. Yep. And um, you know, I think uh, what we're watching across the country, the division between the country almost split in half uh, is something that if you work in Washington, you're gonna experience. And frankly, um, it's often not helpful, uh, particularly if you don't wanna play politics. Yeah. I'm gonna ask you a question that I hadn't planned on, but we had a chance to talk just a few minutes before this event. And you said something that gave me a lot of hope, and I was hoping you could talk about this, which is, so it does feel deeply divided. It does mm -hmm. feel like we're, a con yeah. we're living in yeah. two countries. Yep. And it feels like one side is not talking to the other, the one side vilifies the other, and it increasingly feels like there's no middle ground. And I was mentioning a conversation where I wondered, is there, a, is there still a, a real substantive center that holds the country together? Yeah. And you said there was. Yeah. You said that you've seen yeah. it. You felt it. Can you talk more about yeah. where you've seen it and how you see that? Yeah. I think Americans agree much more than they disagree. I think that there are some fundamental principles of goodness and fairness that all Americans do share. And I think that um, we are being painted as a country that's divided. And the reason why I believe that most people, most good people are in the middle 
uh, is because that was my experience. As I talked about with Congress, uh, you know, while they may have fought on lots of different issues when it came to honoring the responsibility to those who have served and put their lives for the country, uh, I experienced it in a bipartisan way. And that's how we were able to get 11 bills through. And so I think by focusing on more what unites us rather than divides us, that's part of the solution. I also think that when there is outrageous behavior, uh, when people violate the principles that all of us or most of us do believe in in the middle, uh, we have to speak out. And that's why when Charlottesville happened, uh, I thought I might get fired. And I said, I'm okay with that if yeah. I get fired. But look, um, I spoke out against the white supremacists and the Nazis, and I said this should be not tolerated. And we as Americans all have to speak out. Uh, and I think that that begins to define what's not acceptable on the outer limits of both divisions. And let's focus on what really this country needs to work upon. Yeah. Uh, and I do believe that's where most people are. And did you? Did you see that as you went around and talked to the veterans groups and VSOs and, uh, and the veterans themselves? You know, what's so interesting, if you focus on what you believe and you don't play politics, you connect with the vast majority of people. Yeah. Um, you know, most veterans that I spoke with, I don't know if they're Democrats or Republicans, and frankly, I didn't care, right? Yeah. If we ever got to the point that people would only raise their hand and volunteer to serve if they felt like they belonged to one party or the other, we are in big trouble in this country. Yeah. So when you serve, and the military is actually one of the most inclusive environments, race issues um, you know, just don't exist in the same way. People see themselves as depending upon each other for their lives, um, and it's a really healthy environment in that way. And that's why, of course, I supported uh, transgender troops, and I support you know, anybody who is brave enough to be able to serve. They're all equal. They have to be treated equal. And it's an environment that I think the rest of the country needs to learn from. Right. I want to ask one more substantive question about VA, um, because it, it was mentioned in your op-ed. Um, mm -hmm. It's an issue that has been with us in some ways for decades, which is this idea of privatization, mm -hmm. uh, this notion that, like, why should we run a whole system just for one group? And yet, I believe, and I've, I've worked in VA for a long time, mm -hmm. I've worked with Secretary Shinseki for many years when he was Secretary, um, practiced there still. I think there's something very useful and powerful about having a public system that serves our veterans. Um, how have you seen the privatization of the VA yep. as an issue? Yep. Uh, how did you confront it as a secretary? And what are your reflections on that? Right. Uh, this is a good example of being in the middle. Uh, because I didn't plan on going into government when I ended up being in charge of the health system, uh, I had an open mind. I figured, hey, look, if this system is not fixable, maybe the right answer would be let's shut it down and privatize it. I was open to that. Yeah. Then I put on my white coat like you do, and I started to see VA patients. And I began to understand that this system was vital, that if we just sent these people out with vouchers into the public sector, these are the people who would get lost. And these are the people who need us the most. And the VA does something that care is very, very special. So I began to believe that it was essential that we not only save the VA, but that we strengthen it. But I wanted to do it in a way that made sense. And here's the middle part. I wanted to build the VA in the services that veterans need it for to be the best in the country. And the services that the private sector did better, I wanted to send veterans out to the private sector. 
So I created a vision for an integrated system of strengthening the VA in certain services and using the private sector in others. And so it was privatization, but it was also strengthening the core foundation of what the VA needs to be. And because it wasn't a left or a right solution, it was actually, let's do what makes sense for veterans. Yeah. It was difficult to find a political footing for it in Washington. Yeah, and yet you did. Last question as we finish up here. Um, a lot of students here online, but even all of us were in public health. Um, what would you recommend to people in terms of building up their leadership skills? Um, in some ways, we all need to be better leaders, right? Not just people who actually ha are in leadership positions. Sure. Um, how do people do this? What, what advice would you have for our students about engaging in public leadership and, and being better at public leadership? Well, I think, I think leadership is, as we started out, um, pursuing your passions and being curious and being open to new opportunities. And I also think that leadership has a component of risk-taking. Um, you know, if you're going to be just like everybody else, uh, you probably don't need to be a leader in that field. And so sticking on something that you believe in, that you're passionate about, being principle-based, having integrity, being open about it, taking risk and pursuing your curiosity, I think, are the, is the formula for leadership. Well, that is an excellent formula, and you've embodied it as well as anybody. Secretary Shulskin, thank, thank you. you for being here. It's Thanks been a so pleasure. Much. This has been a Voices in Leadership production at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of the event at www.hsph.me voices. We encourage you to share Voices in Leadership.